2: Well, I'm trying to channel Robert Preston here. we got agitation right here in River City. Agitation, that starts with A and that rhymes with K and that stands for kneeling. Can't have people kneeling. But we do have people kneeling. Uh, Kneeling, historically, has been either a token of subservience, as I said before the news, you know, Daenerys Targaryen in Game of Thrones. She's a big one for getting people to bend the knee uh, to express their subservience to her. Or reverence, um... Uh, Pope, the the future Pope Benedict XVI, uh, back in his days as Cardinal John Ratzinger, wrote a very scholarly scholarly treatise on the necessity of kneeling. Uh, I guess there were factions within Catholicism at that moment who were thinking, you know, what's up up with all the kneeling? We don't need to kneel so much. Uh, But kneeling has taken on a different meaning uh, recently. Uh, It is a way that some people express Uh, their concern with either the um, plight of African Americans in their relationship to the police or to some of the policies of the Trump administration. And one such person is here right here in the studio with us. She doesn't look anywhere near as dangerous as she is portrayed uh, on social media. She is Melissa Schlag, uh, selectman for the town of Haddam. Uh, Do you prefer selectman or selectwoman?
3: Selectmen. It's Selectman. easier to say. Yeah, okay.
2: <laughs> so um, maybe I should just let you uh, tell your story. So this all starts, I think, on July 16th, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah I was at work. Um, I've always felt for a long time that there are many reasons we all should be on our knees, uh, whether it's racial injustice, gender inequality, poverty. Um, but that day, what brought me to my knees was I watched live the uh, press conference between uh, Putin and Donald Trump, and I was in utter shock. Um, I found that that was the most un-American thing I've ever watched, and um, I had a board of meeting that night, and it was uh, just within a couple of hours that I decided I would kneel.
2: Um, uh, my understanding is that you're not the first or the only person in Hadam to kneel during a public meeting, right?
3: Correct, yes. There's a Republican board of education member, Maura. Um She's been kneeling for about a year mm. um, for racial injustice. Uh, she has two Hispanic children that have uh, witnessed racism in Haddon, unfortunately. So,
2: but there was something about the fact that you kneeled, when you kneeled, why you kneeled, uh, that, or knelt, um, that created some other kind of storm. Uh, we were speculating this morning on, on the wheelhouse that it may have something to do with it. It's an election year, so people are looking for something to pounce on. Could you, as you saw the controversy unfolding in real time, understand why you were controversial when maybe somebody else kneeling wasn't?
3: Sure. Well, uh, I'm always controversial in my town, I guess you could say. I've been a, uh, a uh, troublemaker for peace, I guess you could call me, um, for many years. And I've never shied away from uh, my beliefs. And I think, though, what it ha- what happened was it turned from just a town issue into a political tool used by uh, a gubernatorial candidate, Tim Herbst, and um, sta- my state senator, Art Linares, using that as a tool to uh, reach out to their very red base um, and it's unfortunate because it really has hurt had him. Something that was a silent 10 seconds has blown up across the world. And um, it, it doesn't need to be this difficult to uh, get your points across.
2: Right. Now you called it uh, "Hear the loudest kneel, right? I mean, yeah. uh, all right. So let's hear a little bit about what that, what that sounds like. What, when I mean that, I mean Tim Herbst complaining about kneeling.
0: You know, I'm going to be 38 years old next month. And I have never in my lifetime, ever, in my 38 years, seeing people kneel during the Pledge of Allegiance. But
3: they have the freedom to do that in this country.
0: They do, and, but that does, and I have the freedom to call it out as an American. You know what? I have First Amendment rights too, and I feel very strongly that it shows complete disrespect for our country, for our flag, for our institutions, for who we are as a people. And one of the things that I respect the most about this country is that we can disagree with each other But we live in a democracy where we can vote for our leaders. We can vote to change our leaders. We can debate issues. We can compromise on issues without compromising on our principles. But that's Mm. what that flag stands for. Can
3: I ask, uh, also in the town of Haddam, a Republican member of the Board of Ed has been kneeling while the pledge was recited. There has not been a lot of, I I mean, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen widespread reports Mm. of Republicans uh, also saying that this person is wrong of doing that.
0: I said yesterday, whether you are a Republican or a Democrat, If you kneel for the flag as a public official during the Pledge of Allegiance, you should resign. All
2: right. Uh, Of course, you can tell that that's from where we live. You can hear the voice of Lucy Novavangel, who has now interviewed all the gubernatorial candidates except for Stemmerman and Stefanowski, who didn't volunteer or didn't agree to come on. I I don't know what's being done for Lucy's mental health uh, after all (laughs) that at this point, but I hope she's comfortable somewhere, possibly in a spa. Um, So uh, apparently you should just resign. Are you going to resign?
3: No, I have no intention of resigning. Um, I've been a public official for many years, and I love my town and I want to make it better. Um
2: First of all, are you, are you I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you're surprised at the, the reach of this story. Uh, in other words, um, it, it seems to be going all over the country. You've been mentioned on Fox and Friends and places like that. Um, uh, does that sur- I assume that does surprise you that you didn't expect to be kind of important that way outside of Haddam?
3: No, I, I had no idea that this would have this far reaching of an effect.
2: Um, but you probably did have some idea that in Hadam, uh, for you to do this, even though there was a Republican Board of Ed member already doing it, that there were going to be, it was going to get some people's hackles up, right?
3: Yes. I, I wish that people had wanted to have a conversation. In fact, after that first meeting um, that I knelt, uh, I only had one person come up to me and ask me why I did it. And I think what Tim Herbst just said is, is very disturbing because he is forcing people to do something with their body that they don't want to do, forcing them to say something that they might not want to say at that time. Um, that is a step towards fascism, and we don't need a governor in our uh, state that are promoting uh, forced patriotism.
2: So um, maybe you can say a little bit more about what the reactions have been like. I mean, reactions take place uh, person to person in the flesh in the town of Haddam. Reactions take place in a much more florid uh, and pervasive level on social media, I would imagine, well, I know just from what I've seen and read, that's been kind of a nightmarish hellscape.
3: Yeah. <laughs> to say the <laughs> least, yeah. I'd say thousands of comments, private messages, emails, letters to my employers asking for me to be fired. Um, and it's funny because more than half of them, they, they'll have some very sexually explicit attack uh, on me, and then end it with hashtag Maga. I'm sorry, but I don't know of how to make America great again by attacking somebody with sexual violence, violent words on Facebook.
2: You did follow the Trump campaign, right? It's
3: <laughs> true. Those two yeah, I didn't are fall <laughs>
2: Those two, two things are not entirely separate uh, out yeah. there in, in reality. Yeah. But, yeah, I see the point that you're making anyway, that it, it yes, when you look at the way that these uh, attacks are made, uh, to say that they're visceral would be an understatement. They are profane. Uh, they are aggressive. They use the absolutely most coarse. I mean, I find the irony of people who I think are kind of insisting on the one level uh, on decorum, right, mm-hmm. that it's respectful, uh, and, and an exhibition of decorum to stand during the Pledge of Allegiance. And then they're using the C word yeah. uh, in a you know, relatively public forum about you, which means that apparently if they don't get the decorum they want, they are prepared to throw manners and all kinds of decent behavior to the winds.
3: Yeah, and until as a country we step back from that and call that out, um, we have to have a dialogue about this intolerance. We have to have a dialogue about racial injustice. Um, we can't just throw attacks at each other. Until we have that open dialogue, nothing will ever change.
2: Um, how how are you doing?
3: I'm pretty good. Yeah, uh, you seem very calm <laughs> yeah, for somebody who's been yeah. through this. Yeah. Well, you know, Haddam is a is a rough town politically. This isn't uh, again the proverbial first rodeo. Um, I have been the target of of many political uh, consternations throughout the years, but I um, I just hope that the next generation can be as strong. And we need good people in politics. We need people to call out the injustices. Um, and I hope the kids that are reading all these Facebook posts and comments. Uh, don't take that to heart and shy away from even voting, nonetheless, running for office.
2: It seems to me that we ha- when we have these things, what we wind up with are two clashing views of what patriotism means. So for some people, uh, patriotism is, and I, I don't want to uh, un- be extra unflattering in the way that I characterize it, so I'll try to be fair, but um, that it is, in some respects, uh, well, my country, right or wrong, to use a phrase that people like this occasionally do use, that there should be an unflinching, flinching, and an, and essentially unquestioning adherence to the country, to the symbols of the country, to the rhetoric uh, of the country, to the music that symbolizes the country. That all of those things deserve um, a, a respect without question and that they deserve the same respect on Tuesday as they got on Monday, uh, that the events of the world shouldn't matter all that much. Um, So there's sort of that view. And then there's the other view, which is that even when you get to the Pledge of Allegiance, there's some pretty aspirational language in there with liberty and justice for all. And so if you're, You don't want to be mouthing words that don't seem true if you don't think – so And and I I think what you've tried to explain – I'm sitting here putting words in your mouth. But (laughs) what you've tried to explain is that you are that latter kind of patriot.
3: Yes. Um, Like I said at the meeting the other night, which I call a verbal stoning, um, Mm -hmm. I've heard everything from I'm urinating on the veterans' graves – Um, They booed during their own pledge, actually, Um, and they even uh, booed and told a Vietnam veteran to leave because he was standing up for the First Amendment and my right to kneel. Um, I have a a friend who has a young daughter, and she had some pretty wise words. She says, but if those words at the end of the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, with liberty and justice for all aren't true, why do we keep saying them? Uh, and, And like I said at the meeting, we can't wrap our sins in the American flag and make everything go away.
2: Right. I mean, you know, John Dankosky and I were talking about this yesterday, that in a country that prizes freedom and individual choice as much as we give lip service to, even the notion of a Pledge of Allegiance is kind of weird. I mean, there are lots of countries that don't have them. I mean, in general— when you travel, when or or maybe more relevantly, when you talk to people from other places who come here, other like Western democracies who come here, they're also a little freaked out by just how much national antheming there is at sports yes, events and yep. pledge of allegiancing there is at, at all kinds of, I mean, a, there are a lot of countries where they just don't find it necessary to be tipping your hat to all these things all the time. And to me, I, I sometimes wonder whether it betokens an insecurity uh, uh, that particularly when you look at somebody doing what you did and then getting the response that you've gotten, it's kind of like, what's going on there?
3: Yeah, it's um, it's easy. It's easy to take that flag and throw on your, your, your flag beer koozie and your flag shirt covered with eagles, your flag hat, your flag socks, uh, and, and call yourself a patriot. Um, the pledge, a forced pledge doesn't make any sense unless you pledge your allegiance to your fellow citizen. And I think that's the difference. It's the Pledge of Allegiance is, is easy. We had uh, three meetings in a row uh, one night in Haddam, and we said the Pledge of Allegiance at every single meeting at the beginning, uh, even though there was 20, 20 minutes apart from each meeting. So, again, it's a, it's a crutch that we have to get away from. Uh, saying the pledge does not make you a patriot. Doing the pledge, standing before the flag, does not make you a patriot. It's how you treat other human beings that makes you a patriot.
2: On the day that you did this uh, for the first time um, was the day, as you say, that uh, Trump and Putin had their famous press conference. Um, I don't know whether this was going through your mind or not, but for me, kind of interpreting what you did, I mean, there was some question in my mind as to where the allegiances of President Trump lay on that day. I mean, that was really the the fulcrum of the discussion about this. So he was asked whether he would side with uh, our own intelligence services. He said that there had been a Russian hack. uh, And he was less worse than ambivalent about it he really seemed to be saying he didn't see any reason why he should have to uh, to yeah. believe that and why he shouldn't side with the Russians against his own uh, officers and his own citizens so I mean there's a there's at least a little bit of an irony or a paradox that uh, on the day that you got in trouble over the Pledge of allegiance the person whose allegiance was most demonstrably in question in this country was yeah. President Trump
3: yeah but that's again the irony and it's it's blind. Uh, It's blind patriotism. They can't get around the politics of it, and because again, it's easy just to wrap yourself in that flag and everything's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay until we tackle each of these problems in our in our world.
2: Uh, I should tell you, once again, we're talking to Melissa Schlag, uh, a selectman from Hadam. She's the person who has created quite a stir uh, by kneeling uh, at town meetings. Um, I should also say that we're going to talk about the kind of nature of kneeling Uh, in the next segment here. We're going to talk about it, sort of how it's been used in the past, what it has meant in the past, um, and then towards the end, we will have some time for your phone calls. We're not going to do that right now, but I'll give out the number towards the end of the show for the final segment. We will, um, take a few phone calls. Uh, I, I am going to ref the phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I'm not going to censor anybody, but we're also not going to have a pinata situation here. So I'm guessing that with public radio listeners, I mean, we should say that, yes, you've been called the C word. You've been called two C C-word words because you've also been called a cancer on America yeah. and you've been accused of urinating on various sacred institutions and yeah. symbols and <laughs> things like that. But you've also, I mean, I'm, I'm looking on social media. I don't know what the ratio is, but there's a, even when I put this up today on my page, a whole bunch of people jumped on who, you know, were quite ready to support you right to the bitter end.
3: Yes. Um, I, I've received tons of support from across the country, actually, and uh, a lot of letters of support from veterans um, saying that they're, uh, they're just really sad that other folks have, um, have taken this issue and made it political. Um, so it's it's been heartwarming to get those responses. The problem is I think a lot of people are afraid to go on and comment when they see those names um that I'm called, and they're also called name it's not just me that has that has been called these names
2: yeah i mean well once once the inferno gets started on one of these things, then yeah everybody who participates starts attacking everybody else in yeah. the most. Um, direct, confrontational, and vicious and profane (laughs) We that they can think think of. (laughs) Uh, That's uh, the wonder of social media. I should say also, if you want to comment on this as we go along, you also have the opportunity to tweet at us at WNPR, Colin, uh, as we talk to Melissa Schlag. Would you would, would did you choose this particular way of expressing yourself? Well, obviously, as we say, there's a Republican Board of Ed member who's been doing it for a year. Uh, that person, I think almost unquestionably, the way you describe it to me, has been influenced by the protests by NFL players. I mean, describe your relationship to all of that.
3: Uh, well, I think that Colin Kaepernick um, was an inspiration to me because just in my tiny little town to do something in front of 20 people um, – is It sometimes takes an act of bravery, but for Colin to do that in front of an entire country, millions of viewers, um, that takes guts. And that also shows his um, patriotism and his uh, desire to make our world better.
2: Yeah. Um. If you could imagine a future—I mean, first of what we were saying before the show started, look, the way the things work in the media anyway, this is going to go away pretty fast. Well, there's an incredibly short attention span. One thing drives out another pretty quickly. Um, probably in Hadam this will last longer, but as you say—and there's, of course, also a clip now of you that you, yeah. you're videoed without knowing it, uh, saying some stuff about Hadam. I don't know. I, I would I would think that at some point you'd like to be able to talk— a little bit more to some of the people who are angriest at you right now and that, you know, maybe these public forums slash stonings are not the best way to do it. I I know if you could talk one on one to somebody from Haddam who's really mad at you right now, what would you want to say to them?
3: Well, I think it's just a matter of listening and and a discussion. I sat at the meeting um, the other night, uh, like I said, the public stoning um, and the – or verbal stoning, I should say. um, And I sat patiently and respectfully through each and every single presenter. Um, Some were positive and some were very, very negative. Uh, I was respectful of them. When I got up to stand to speak – um, I was met with booze and people turning their back, and that doesn't help us. Um, I am going to uh, address the comments that were in that video that, that uh, of course, Senator Linares is sending around. Of course, I don't mean that all of Haddam is racist and fascist. Um, we have some uh, a very strong vein of that, and that's evident on a lot of our pages. Uh, there's a lot of Confederate flag stickers around our town. Um, somebody was... Painting swastikas on the Liberty Bank (laughs) ATM and stop sign, that's not okay. And we have to have a conversation about this. We have to have an open dialogue. Um, We can't just call each other names and call it a day.
2: All right, so we're talking to Melissa Schlag right now, a selectman for the town of Haddam. We're going to take a break. We're going to add to our conversation uh, Ansley Kiros, a, an assistant professor of history at the University of North Alabama and the author of God With Us, Lived Theology and the Freedom Struggle in America's Georgia, 1942 to 1976. We're going to talk a little bit about the fact that the, the kneeling by the uh, NFL players is not the first time in American history that a kneeling has been used as an expression of protest we <music> All right. So um, still with us in studio, Melissa Schlag, selectman for the town of Haddam. Uh, Most of you know her story. And then I already introduced her at the end of the last segment, which was dumb because I'm going to have to do it again. Uh, Ansley Kiros, assistant professor of history at the University of North Alabama. And the author of God uh, With Us, Lived Theology and the Freedom uh, Struggle in America's Georgia from 1942 to 1946. Um, From the very beginning of the NFL uh, kneeling protests, I've been Thinking a lot about this, thinking a lot about the fact that there are many, many ways to protest, many, many ways in which people have demonstrated, and you think of uh, the, um, the the Olympic runners who protested many years ago in um, in Mexico City. I mean, they raised their fist, um, which is a much more defiant gesture than than kneeling. Kneeling seems to be you know, about as reverential, respectful, and low-key a way to demonstrate your concerns uh, as I can think of. And But I was interested to know that uh, this is not the first go-round here, and so, uh, Ansley Kiros, you're joining us right now. Uh, maybe uh, tell us the story of those Atlanta students in 1960 and their kneel-ins.
4: Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, there have probably been a lot of kneeling protests in American history, but uh, when I picked up the story, it was in Uh, the summer of 1960, um, after the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee had been founded um, in North Carolina. Um, And following the founding of SNCC, as it's known, um, students were empowered in a sort of grassroots organization. SNCC was more diffuse than the economic and political boycotts that had preceded it in places like Baton Rouge and Montgomery. Um, And these Atlanta students... uh, decided to protest segregation in churches Um, in the south at that time it was pretty common for churches especially baptist and methodist churches because of their polity to have what they called closed door policies Um, there were basically segregation policies for the church that struck these students as unchristian as well as un-american and so the way that they devised to protest that was by kneeling Um, And so they started something called the Kneel In Movement, which ended up fanning out from Atlanta to lots of cities throughout the South, um, Memphis, Americas, uh, many others, and became a really powerful part of the civil rights struggle.
2: Um, Maybe you could say a little bit more about why they chose kneeling. Uh, Once again, there are a lot of ways to protest.
4: Yeah, I mean, the students um, and their leaders, they they were led by a minister named James Lawson, uh, who was at Vanderbilt Divinity School, many of them. Um, They were very thoughtful and deliberate about the means that they chose to protest. Uh, They were careful to be respectful. They were careful to even do things like dress neatly um, to show the most respect that they could. And kneeling was a natural choice in this case because of the religious roots of their requests. Um, the movement itself was deeply steeped in Christian theology um, and what they called the nonviolent love ethic. Um, But it also created what they knew would become a moral spectacle, which was something that they were aiming for, to highlight not only the economic and political injustices that black Americans were facing, but to put those injustices in a moral and theological context. And kneeling was an appropriate physical way for them to express that, they felt.
2: Um, it sounds like essentially nothing has changed in 58 years, uh, both yeah. in terms of the way the problem is stated and the way the protest uh, is articulated. I um, uh, let the record show that Melissa Schlag is dressed just neatly uh, here today. Uh, I'm going to just uh, switch over to you for a second, Melissa. Um, you know, when you do kneel during the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, you get 10 seconds uh, of quiet. I don't know. How does that feel? What are you thinking? I don't know. Can you describe what's going on with you at that specific moment?
3: It's actually pretty powerful um what the first time that I knelt, of course, everybody was jeering, I guess you could say from from the um, small audience at that time, um, and this last time was booing, but I felt more connected to my country in that kneel than blindly standing saying a pledge to my country
2: um uh, Ainsley, um, Melissa's gotten a lot of pushback, as you probably know. Pushback is probably a nice way to describe uh, what she's gotten. Uh, what was it like for the Neil Inners uh, back in 1960?
4: You know, it's interesting. They got some pushback. They were certainly um, thrown out of churches, dismissed. Um, in one case, they were threatened with uh, a weapon. <laughs> um, but mostly what happened was And and this, I think, is akin to what's going on um, with the NFL protests and perhaps in this case as well, is there is a a real effort to sidestep what the protest was about um, and to make it less moral and less theological than it was intended to be, uh, to distract it from the movement's aims. So a lot of what was done was not just physical intimidation, um, but also characterizing the movement, or I should say mischaracterizing it claiming that the kneelers were insincere, um, that they were just trying to disrupt something, that they were communists was a very common um, epithet hurled at them. So most of what was, in order to sidestep the theological and moral confrontation, there was an effort to uh, reframe the action.
2: Right. It it kind of, you know, in in both of these scenarios, the one that we're experiencing here in 2018 with Melissa Schlag or with, uh, the NFL uh, players and, and what you describe in 1960, it really is. It does seem as though the protesters have chose chosen the mildest, least potentially offensive thing that they could do, and nonetheless, it it isn't really almost uh, graded that way. It isn't understood that way. The issue it, it's much more binary, Ansley. It seems to me either you're uh, doing what you're supposed to do, or you're doing something else, and if you're doing something else, you're going to be punished.
4: Yeah, and I think that's actually like one of the fundamental things that we as a nation, um, and you kind of laid out that binary early on, but what we need to face are those deeper questions. Um, How do we become a more perfect union and how do we learn to listen to one another in our body politic? Um, I think that's the deeper question that that we seem to be incapable of even really considering.
2: Right. Uh, This is a point that you made, uh, too, is that um, you know, there are lots of ways to protest and you can march around uh, yelling and waving signs that say whatever they say, um, hooray for our side, according to one song, uh, or you can do this thing, which it's, you know, so connected to biblical reverence, uh, which was so appropriate, uh, in protesting segregated churches, um, that, uh, and I think you, you talked about it, it's like, seemed like, uh, a, a patient, uh, appeal yeah. to our better angels.
4: Yeah. I like to think of it as protest, as beseeching, um, it, just like asking and requesting something good, uh, which is very different than demanding. It, it does seem patient to me.
2: I mean, it's theologically, it's fascinating to me. I mentioned this at the top of the show, that um, when authoritarian structures are not complaining about people like Melissa Schlag and Colin Kaepernick kneeling. They're complaining about people not kneeling. Uh, And and the complaining about people not kneeling has been a much more persistent drumbeat over the centuries. Uh, I I was reading a a very learned and interesting um, essay written by uh, Cardinal John Ratzinger, who eventually became Pope Benedict XVI, and there was like this problem in the Catholic Church. I wasn't aware of it, but there were some people saying, you know, really, here in the 21st century or late 20th century, you know, it doesn't really make any sense to kneel in church. Why don't we, we meet God and Jesus on our feet, you know. Um, and so he wrote this long thing about, what. Well, absolutely, no, it's essential to kneel. Here's all the reasons. Here's the biblical basis uh, for kneeling. You really got to do this. It has to do with humility uh, and our connection to Christ's own humble, own humbleness and, and on and on. So, Ensley, it it's, it's almost like you can't win, right? <laughs> I mean, if you don't kneel, you're in trouble. And if you kneel, you're in trouble.
4: Yeah, and that's the point that actually a lot of um, black athletes in particular and black Americans more generally are making. Um, and they're doing this with T-shirts and, and, and like, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to speak? Do you want us to remain silent? you want us to stand? Do you want us to kneel? And it just sort of reflects, um, as I said before, our inability as a nation to really um, confront racial injustice and care for one another as citizens. But you're right, too, about... The, the reverence of kneeling. Um, and I think in this case, and in Melissa's case as well, protest and reverence are not necessarily in conflict, and that action can um, encompass both of those impulses.
2: Yeah, you know, Melissa, I, uh, just in reading some of the backlash and just the commentary on social media about you, one of the things uh, you're probably very familiar with, a trope that sets up, I respect her right as a citizen to express herself, comma, but. um, I don't know. Maybe you can just comment on that.
3: Sure. Um, Again, that's that's the easy way out. I respect her decision to kneel, but here's why it's wrong. Um, They, they of course, have the right to their opinion. Uh, However, you shouldn't force your opinion on other people. You leave it at, well, I don't really like what she's doing. Have a good day. Um, But that's not. That's not the end of the conversation, and it's a bullying tactic to try to get me to stop kneeling or to to quit my job uh, as an elected official. Um, And I think that it's important to remember that even in every protest, you have to continue to act, though. You have to continue to, to change the world in other ways, whether it be uh, running for office. Um, you can carry all the signs in every parade that you want, but you really have to work hard at changing our, our uh, culture. Um, so it's easy to post on Facebook either way, pro, you know, pro or against what I'm doing. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard, though, to actually take the action.
2: Um, Anthony Kuros, uh, you know, as we look at what, what the NFL has attempted to do with this, I think we get some sense of maybe the power that kneeling protests do have, because the NFL's ultimate ultimate decision about this—I guess it's not the ultimate decision because it's still kind of a moving target—but um, one of the things that they they went towards is the idea of, look, just stay in the locker room, do whatever you want to do, <laughs> you know, but they don't want anybody to see it, and and— I think maybe that's that may speak to the the power uh, and, and the humility that that ex, that coexist in the act of kneeling that, you know, to really forcibly stop somebody from kneeling in public or to allow that person to kneel in public and, and have that mean whatever it means was maybe a little bit more than the people in control of things wanted to try to live through.
4: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it definitely puts the NFL in a bit of a bind. Um, a lot of their fans are white mm-hmm. and a lot of their athletes are black and they're trying to protect their economic interests. And um, it, it's, a, it's an interesting use of kneeling. And I think a lot of these athletes felt that um, – their sorrow over the deaths of people like Trayvon Martin and Tamir Rice and Eric Garner and Philando Castile and the list goes on and on, that in the culture and in our politics, they it, those um, – murders those incidents were not getting the attention that they wanted and so athletics is one of the places in our culture where black Americans are at the center and I think a lot of these athletes felt that this is our opportunity as American citizens as lovers of our country as black Americans as those with the inheritance of the civil rights struggle um, this is a place where we have some power and and we have some visibility and so wanting to highlight racial injustice um, but certainly yes yeah, Yeah, it puts NFL um, owners in an interesting position. My hope is that they respond with courage and uh, listen to their players. I think some teams and owners are doing this better than others. Um, It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out.
2: It will indeed. Ansley Kiros, thank you so much for joining us, Assistant Professor of History at the University of North Alabama, the author of God okay. With Us, uh, Lived Theology uh, and Freedom Struggle in America's Georgia uh, and from 1942 to 1976. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to have more of Melissa. Uh, we will uh, take a few phone calls. The number here is 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. Uh, you're all entitled to your own opinion but be on your best behavior okay standing
0: knee knee knee
3: on the radio nobody knows when you kneel i'm kneeling right now
5: i've been kneeling this whole time Today's show was produced by Jonathan McPants, who does yoga poses during the National Anthem, stands on one foot during the Pledge of Allegiance, and sways gently from side to side during I Saw
3: the Sign by Ace of Base. And by me, Kyone Wolf. I just... kneel. Amanda Fish Has No Knees, the part of Bill Curry, was played by Colin Kaepernick. On tomorrow's show, Colin returns
5: with an unusually personal show about healing the heart and mind after cancer.
3: And now, back to kneeling. Actually, I think I'm getting a cramp.
1: Here's a a civic custom that I don't understand. Maybe you can help me. Taking off your hat when a flag passes by, or when some jack-off at the ballpark starts singing the national anthem, they tell you to take off your hat. What the does a hat have to do with being patriotic? What possible relationship exists between the uncovered head and a feeling that ought to live in your heart? Suppose you have a red, white, and blue hat. Suppose you have a hat made out of a flag. Why would you take it off to honor the flag? Wouldn't you leave it on? And point it toward the flag. And and what's so bad about hats that you have to take them off? Why not take off your pants?
2: That, of course, is the late, great George Carlin Uh, talking about all this. uh, In studio with me is Melissa Schlag, uh, a selectman at the town of Haddam, uh, and uh, the person who has uh, been kneeling during the Pledge of Allegiance. I just want to quickly say one quick thing about tomorrow's show, uh, which is that... um, uh, yeah, this is an unusually personal show for me. I was diagnosed earlier in July, uh, with actually right at the end of June, uh, with a melanoma, which had to be removed. Uh, it was removed, uh, by a wonderful surgeon. And then afterwards I sort of thought, well, now what do I do? Because they're like, you know, they're done with me. They're <laughs> done. They've done everything that they're going to do, at least for now. Uh, but I have all these questions about where I am and what my life means and whether it's different and all this kind of stuff. And so that kind of started me off on, on a quest. There have been other people who've been on this quest for so much longer and have been through so much more than what I went through. And so I talked to a lot of them uh, and uh, we've been kind of taping these interviews uh, over a period of days here and we're Betsy Kaplan. I thought I was sort of trying to produce the show myself and there's sort of a moment, this happens once in a while, where i announce I'm going to produce the show myself. And there's sort of a moment. It's not unlike trying to get the car keys away from a drunk, you know, where they basically sort of, you know, uh, Wolfie and Betsy and Jonathan and everybody, Katie Talarski, gently sort of ease me away. (laughs) Because I really make a mess of things if I, you know, keep trying to produce it. So anyway, it's produced by them now. But I, I... it It's a topic's a little scary. I hope you won't be afraid of it. I, I think the way that it gets talked about uh, is a way that you'd find reassuring rather than super clinical and, and scary. So, anyway, that's that. Um, we're back with Melissa Schlag, a, a selectman at the town of Haddam. People are calling in, uh, uh, all men so far. So, let's make sure some women call in at 860 275 7266. 860 275 7266. Before we get to the calls, though, Melissa, uh, there's men, there's women, and there's bots. Um, we live in a time where something like what you've done and the, the way it uh, gets reacted to um, can fan a set of flames that then attracts other kinds of moths. I'm torturing this analogy. but uh, So you've actually felt as though there were bots uh, getting involved in your story.
3: Yes. Um, one of my friends actually told me that they thought so, and I said, no, there's no way. Um, but the fact that this story has fanned across the nation on ultra-conservative right blogs and uh, Breitbart, um, Russian news, uh, it, it raised some uh, antenna there. And I, when I started to pay attention, you realize that all sorts of um, clumps of comments or clumps of messages come in at all at one time. Mm-hmm. And that's not how real life works. So there's definitely something else going on. Um, I do know that, you know, Tim Herbst had gone on Fox and Friends. We all know who watches Fox and Friends. And so um, I wouldn't put it past anybody to have uh, have the Russians try to infiltrate Haddam's uh, uh, Facebook pages.
2: Well, there even seemed to be some instances where you had an auto reply up and, and – it would it would go up and then somebody would reply almost faster than a human being could type.
3: Yes, and that's the sign of a bot. So I have an automatic response on my uh, Selectman uh, Facebook um, private message, and as soon as my response went up, an immediate like whole two sentences came up uh, it, it, the the next second. There's no way a human can type that fast. Let
2: me ask you this. I mean, you know, a lot of this started for you because of that famous press conference between Putin and President Trump, um, which was about Russian hacking. We know that one of the intents of Russian hacking, before they really decided that they specifically wanted to pick a winner in that election, before that, their main goal was to dissent, to make uh, our democracy and our civic dialogue work poorly, uh, to cripple us by undermining these basic kinds of institutions. Do you ever worry that maybe what you've done has played towards their strengths a little bit in that way?
3: Yeah, I guess you could say that. Um, If there's one thing that frightens me the most uh, right now with the Russian issue is the attack on our democracy and, of course, attack on our energy grid too. But the attack on our democracy, I mean, that is America. And if we don't have our democracy, we don't have America. The pledge means nothing. The flag means nothing. Uh, and I hope that I didn't add to that. But again, uh, be, my, my kneeling for 10 seconds in a tiny little town of Haddam should not have this reverberating effect across the nation.
2: All right. Uh, I'm looking at some calls that are sitting up here. It's still all guys. Um, and, uh, but this is something that we have talked about, uh, and um, uh, Melissa and I off air. So here's Stephen in Chester. Hi, Stephen. You're on the air.
6: Uh, hi. Uh, thank you for having me on. Um, I have I've really uh, two, two things. Uh, w- one is, is the history of the Pledge of Allegiance itself is, is, is very uh, uh, interesting. I, can, I guess we'll start with that, which is that it was created in the late uh, 1800s, at the very end of the cent- you know, that century, uh, by, I believe, a Baptist minister uh, who was a, a known fascist uh, and socialist, and he was a flag. He owned a flag manufacturing company, and he devised the pledge to sell more flags, and you know tried to get everyone to adopt the pledge, uh, and adopt it in schools, so that everyone would say it and, and, and buy his you know buy his product. And it wasn't until uh, 1942 that Congress uh, adopted uh, the pledge.
2: Um, you know, I believe as, his name was, I believe his name was Francis Bellamy, um, certainly a well-known yeah. Christian socialist. I'm not really sure if fascist necessarily uh, fits him, but uh, we should say, Melissa, you did a two-page letter up on your Facebook site where you talked about your many reasons, your many concerns that, that led you up to the point of kneeling, but also you explored some of this question too, about you know what is the actual status and history of the Pledge of Allegiance.
3: Sure. Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize the history of the pledge, and thank you to the caller who just explained most of it. Um, it was actually used in a. Um, it used to be a Catholic boys' uh, magazine um, to uh, that we're selling that Francis wrote for, uh, and that uh, event that the the pledge was written for was a four hundredth anniversary of Columbus's landing. Um, and I have my own issues with Columbus. That's that's for another show. Uh, but I, I think people don't realize what the history of a pledge really is, and um, I just tried to educate folks in my letter. I urge everybody to do a little research on on the history of that and and uh, that it was used as a capitalistic means to sell flags across the country.
2: All right. Uh, let's grab a call from Susan in West Haven. I asked for w- women. Uh, one woman called, 860-275-7266. Hi, Susan. You're on the air.
5: Hi, how are you? Good. I wanted to say thank you so much for your bravery in taking a knee during the pledge. I think that as a woman, we've been maligned so much by this current administration. And I believe that together we can all kneel to make our country better.
2: All right. One thing that you were saying as we were sitting in the studio getting ready is because I, particularly back when I worked at WTIC and was kind of the House liberal on a very conservative station, I went through some of this stuff that, where you'd say something and then the phones would ring all day in the front office demanding that you'd be fired and all this yeah. stuff. But I'm not a woman. And there are ways in which women are, are treated in these situations that, that, as you point out, can be somewhat different.
3: Yeah, it was uh, the, the other meeting that I had where I knelt for the second time. Um, I I, uh, I asked myself many times what would happen if it was a man in that role. Um, but then again, the veteran who spoke um, in favor of my right to kneel was also booed and told to leave. But in society, in the broader context of society, women definitely are treated differently in, in this type of situation. And um, we need the strength to keep going. And and educate people along the way.
2: I should say that we've gotten a bunch of tweets uh, about this conversation, one of them from uh, a self-described vet who says he supports you uh, and says that uh, if we're not all behaving like good Americans, then these kinds of protests uh, are very uh, important, a way to address bad behavior. Um, All right, let's uh, go to somebody who doesn't agree with you. Let's go to Mike in New Milford. Hi, Mike. You're on the air.
1: How are we doing? Thank you very much for taking my call. Sure. Uh, Personally, I couldn't care less about your politics. But I think as a paid professional, uh, she embarrassed not only the town, but the state. And my form of protest for that would be to stop paying
2: her salary. All right. Do you get a salary as a first election?
3: We get a small stipend of about $4,800, $5,000 a year. So, yeah.
2: Um, I, you know, well, actually, let me just see if Mike is still there. i just put him down for a second because the road is. Why, why, Mike, is the salary important to you? In other words, if, if she were doing this uh, on a totally volunteer basis, which is the case with many people who are on town council. She
1: can do whatever she likes. Right. But as a, as a town official, that she is using her position as a town official.
2: Although don't town officials in general, I mean, elected town officials in particular, don't they in general articulate their political views? I mean, isn't that what a a board of selectmen or or a town council meeting is, is a bunch of people who are elected representatives, they're politicians, they run for office, and then they sit there talking about what it is that they believe in, in response to whatever is before the council at that moment. How's this different?
1: Because they're paid to represent the people of the town, not just themselves.
2: Right. But, all right. Well, anyway, that's another precinct heard from. Uh, 860-275-7266. Let's go. Did you want to say something about that?
3: Well, I was just going to say that, you know, elected officials are always elected officials. When I walk out of that meeting room, I'm still a selectman. When I'm at work, at my day job, I'm still a selectman. I help the residents of Hadam all day long. The very definition of a politician is somebody who has an agenda that they want to use to uh, better the community or country. I mean, look at how many tweets President Trump (laughs) puts out every single day. Those are political um, comments, and he's paid.
2: Right. Uh, All right, let's go to uh, Mary Beth in West Hartford. Hi, Mary Beth. You're on the air.
5: Hey, Colin. Thanks for having me. Sure. I'm calling to support Melissa. I, too, was totally shocked when I saw Trump uh, next to Putin that day. I I know my ancestors who fought in every war back to the Civil War and and were in the country since the late 1700s are rolling in their graves after that performance. So I support her um, and uh, her expression during the pledge.
2: Um, well, thanks for your call, Mary Beth. A lot of the calls here are kind of similar either to Mike or to uh, to Mary Beth. Um, maybe we can get to one or two more of them if we have time. Um, but I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. First of all, um, would you, if you had this to do all over again, knowing what you know now and knowing all the things you're going to be called, uh, knowing that people were going to inter- try to interfere with you at your actual place of work, the place where you presumably make your actual living as opposed to your $4,800 stipend, um, knowing all this. Uh, knowing how it might affect people around you people it's it 's never just you right it 's your partner it 's whoever people who like you, love you friends that they all get dragged in one way or another. Would
3: you still do this I would uh, a lot of people have asked me that. My mother said, "What are you doing <laughs> <laughs> so uh, hi, mom and dad but they they respect my um, my reasoning for, for kneeling and what I do for my town and for the state is in helping you know, humanity be better, uh, I would definitely do it again, because I think what it's done is it's opened up the dialogue. We've, it, we've ripped the bandage off, and we need to let that, that festering wound heal in the air. We need to talk about it. Uh, it's the elephant in the room, I guess, the proverbial elephant in the room.
2: Um, and, you know, I asked you earlier um, how you're doing, um, and this can't be easy. It really can't. Um, and it's, it's persistent. It's going to die down. It's going to die down probably over, over about Adam. So I'm going to kind of ask you again. I mean, what's the toll that this has taken on you?
3: Well, I'm OK. I'm a, definitely a strong person. Um, it, it It's not easy. That's, you know, that's... Uh... Uh, I can definitely say that, and, um, but I, what, what I really worry about is not necessarily me, it's just the next generation who's watching this, because I can be strong, and it's even tough for me, who somebody incredibly strong, but somebody who's never been in, you know, in this kind of situation before, you, you will never see a young person do this if they, if they read my Facebook page.
2: Right. Um, I, I can testify, you haven't flinched since you got here. I think you're <laughs> pretty strong. Uh, Rebecca, we're kind of running out of time, but I think you have a point to make that's a little bit different.
5: Yeah, hi. Um, I am. I think I'm a little bit disturbed by, well, a lot disturbed by everything that's going on in this country. But I think that what's most disturbing is that the way that things like this come up, and I totally respect everyone's right, and I think it's very important to um, protest when um, things come up that we think are unjust or unfair. But I think that what is most disturbing is that Um, things become sort of ad hominem and it becomes what is um, what is wrong about the person. Um, It becomes about the sex of the person that is protesting. It becomes about the race of the person who's protesting and it doesn't become about the issues. And it distracts. It distracts. We we go we become um, obsessed with the past about the um, the pledge, where the pledge came from. And it doesn't become about the issues. It distracts us from being forward looking and really digging in and saying, what's wrong with America today? That's, you know, Rebecca, you're
2: making, you're making a great point. I want to give Melissa like 30 seconds, which is all I've got uh, to answer that. Was there, did it have to be this way? Was there another way to engage on the issues?
3: Well, I've been engaging on many issues for many years. This is kind of something that brought it out into the public even more and maybe got to those people that aren't going to see all the work that I've done. Um, they're going to see me kneeling and they're, they're going to know I'm making a statement and I'm hoping that they'll understand and yeah. learn more.
2: I think it doesn't have to be one or the other. I think there can be symbolism and substance and sometimes symbolism is the way that you get to substance. Melissa Schlag, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank Thanks you. to everybody else and our other guests, uh, Ansley Kiros, uh, Jonathan uh, McPants, uh, put this show together. Together, uh, we'll be back tomorrow with that other show I was talking about.
0: Free exercise thereof the freedom of speech
5: For abridging the freedom of press